welcome to the Park Road Podcast for February 16th, 2020. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ and Amy Jack Steen, co-pastors at Park Road Baptist Church. The title of the sermon today is Social Justice, Is There Any Other Kind? This is the final in our Epiphany series. We've been through weeks of talking about how are the many different ways that we experience God, whether it's the mythical or mystic way or the ritual or the, how we experience God in all these different ways in which we are made as human beings. So this is our final in this series of a revealing of God. So... Have you experienced God through social justice? And what does that even mean? And so each week I have taken the time to tell you some little tiny snippet from my experience of when I experienced God through whatever the topic of the day was. And I tell you my story just so that you can be combing through your own story. When has this happened to me? And if you've not had one of these experiences or epiphanies, it's probably because you're not paying attention, or it may be because you're not willing to name it that, or maybe you've got work to do. So I hope at some point you can kind of look back through your life and see your own epiphanies. So today I tell you one of mine. When I think about social justice, the biggies come to mind, the habitat houses that I've put uh, nail, hammer to nail and help to build I think about the marches that I have been in, the women's marches and various other marches. The march uh, that we did in the uprising of Charlotte some years ago after a shooting and people gathered downtown and it was chaos and clergy went and wore our stoles and we tried to help be a, a presence of peace. I think that's social justice. I've tried to speak out. I've tried to write about Our calling to the poor, the undeserved, the underserved, (laughs) the underserved, those who are oppressed. I've tried to talk about things that are not fair and not right and not just. And so a lot of our job here really is talking about these things to you so that hopefully you will be inspired to actually go out and do those things. And we try to make sure that we are a part of the action and not just the talk. So I'll tell you this one story. Before we moved to Charlotte, so this has been about <clears throat> 25 years ago, I was, it was a social work kind of job, and I was the first director of Christian Women's Job Corps, a program that was sponsored by the Women's Missionary Union of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, just let all of that sink in. I'm not your typical WMU woman, if you know what I mean. But they developed this program, and this was a pilot. We were living in Birmingham, and the headquarters of the Women's Missionary Union is in Birmingham, and I needed a job. And they were piloting this program called Christian Women's Job Corps. 
the effort was to take women, you would probably know these programs most as a welfare to work program, but the program was designed to take women who were living a life of dependency and help move them to a life of self-sufficiency. And so we would spend weeks together learning life skills and job training and interview skills and what to wear and how to pay your bills and just basic life skills. And so I spent a year and a half working with this program, ran the first one in Birmingham, and then supervised five others that developed around the city. In my training for this program, Doris, my mentor and boss, was telling this story, and she said, you know, the Bible says the poor will always be with us. And then she said, but that doesn't mean it has to be the same people. So what are we going to do to help the poor no longer be the poor? And before she launched, she said, I just want to tell you a story of how people like us, and we all looked like people like us, like to do this. We like to see a need, and then we like to rally the troops, and we like to meet the need. Don't we? I love to see a need, rally the troops, meet the need. That's awesome. She said she knew of a church that had this group that wanted to help people that needed food. They found this family living out in this trailer out in the middle of nowhere, Alabama, down a dirt road and a gravel road, and you finally get to them in there, a trailer with junk in the yard, and it just looked trashy, and they felt so good. They saw the need. They rallied the troops, and they took the food, and they arrived because they had small children, and those children needed milk, and they knew that they needed milk. And they had visited before and felt like they had not seen enough milk. So they took a lot of milk. Guess what they didn't need? Milk. They saw the need. They rallied the troops. They did not meet the need because nobody asked, what do you need? Lactose intolerant people don't need milk. Trailers that have tiny refrigerators can't store milk. They had to take the milk back home. Because nobody asked, what do you need? I think I learned in that moment to not make so many assumptions about what people need. Maybe what they needed was just being known. Perhaps there were some food items. Maybe there was a car seat that was needed for a car. But maybe if you'd taken the car seat, you would have realized their car's not running. We presume we know the need without asking what is needed. If you want to do social justice work, I can think of no better way to experience God. But you have to ask. Got milk? On the way to church this morning, Facebook gave us a gift. I was reading along, and I saw several of my friends had shared this. Now, you have to think about who Park Road is if you know us. 
You have to think about your own church. But this guy wrote about the kind of church he wants to go to. And in many ways, I see Park Road in this church. And it's just too good not to share because it's all about what we're talking about today. Because if you do the work of social justice, if we preach and talk about social justice, and if we go out there and do social justice, it is not an enlargement campaign. Most folks don't want to sign up for this because following Jesus is simply too difficult and too costly. And it causes us to ask too many questions of ourselves. So this man wrote, I want to go to a dying church. I want to sit in the pews of an aging congregation with wrinkled faces and wise hands. I want my kids to have a couple of friends and 36 new grandparents. I want a retired school teacher to slip my boys a silver dollar when he comes down the aisle. I want to go to a church that made hard choices and paid for it. I want a church that will let me leave with dignity if I ever need to go that doesn't claim to be anything other than a small part of the body of Christ. I want a church that split when they ordained women 35 years ago and split again when the pastor performed her first gay wedding. I want to sit by parishioners who cried when their friends left for the thriving non-denominational worship center across town that puts bloody aborted fetuses on billboards. I want to go to a church that chose love. A church where the gay organist cried when his husband was ordained. Where the congregants tried to use the pronouns they, them, their for the 17-year-old trans kid who comes alone but never sits alone. I want a church that makes hard choices, that will do what's right, let the consequences follow. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus led a dying movement. His friends betrayed him. His father forsook him in the garden, and only a few women stood by his cross and cared for his body. That's what I want my boys to learn about God, even if Sunday school only has a couple of other kids. For the most part, I think that's kind of us. I would like to be more of us. May it be so. Amen. Amy's story is a wonderful reminder of this quote that's in your bulletin. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Charity is a poor substitute for justice. We need both charity and justice, but they are not to be confused. Years ago, a friend of mine argued that there's no such thing as private faith. He said, all faith must be public Now, listening with evangelical ears in those days, his comment rubbed me a little wrong. I thought faith was essentially private. It was about my relationship with God, my relationship with Christ. In those days, I probably didn't even know the words social justice, much less any implications. Faith was equivalent to personal spirituality private devotion, individual morality. There was nothing bigger than that. While Christians were called to do unto others, that came after and actually paled in comparison to securing our own personal, individual salvation. Social justice? 
The words of the book of James echo this tension between personal piety and social justice. He was called James the Just. He was the leader of the first church that gathered community in Jerusalem. He was James, the brother of Jesus. And he expressed a faith that Jim Tabor, the UNCC professor of religion, calls the theology of Jesus. His words may have always been contested in the church. Martin Luther went so far as to suggest that the book be removed from the Bible and thrown into the stove. Provoked by what Luther believed to be an abusive notion of good works in his own Roman Catholic Church, Luther's emphasis, which led to the entire Protestant Reformation, Luther's emphasis was on salvation through faith alone, not works. So you can understand why Luther bristled at James's words. We quoted them this morning in our opening litany. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? Well, Luther was screaming, only faith can save you. And James asked, can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food and somebody says to them, oh, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, but you don't actually supply their bodily needs, of what good is that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. What we do in here, if we don't do it out there, have we done any good? These were fighting words. These were dangerous words for Luther. And they still are. A decade ago, Glenn Beck, the conspiracy-loving talk head, talking head, provoked a firestorm when he invited his conservative listeners to scour their own church's websites looking for any reference to the words social justice. And if you find those words, he said, you better run for the hills as quick as you can get out of there. In one rant, Beck said, social justice was the rallying cry, economic justice and social justice, the rallying cry on both the communist front and the fascist front. This is not an American idea, he said, and if we don't get off the social justice, economic justice bandwagon, you are in grave danger. For Beck, Social justice meant communism. Today, apparently, the bogeyman is socialism. For the fear mongers from the far right, anyone interested in social justice is really just posturing behind the socialist agenda. They want to take your money. They want to redistribute your wealth. They want to practice a social engineering that would take from the rightfully rich and give to the shiftless, lazy, poor. You see, social justice is not normally a talking point for conservative Christians. But I found an interesting article this week on the website of CBN. Yes, that's the Christian Broadcasting Network, home of Pat Robertson and the 700 Club. Interestingly, an article about social justice. Here, one paragraph from that article. Lamar Vest of the American Bible Society visited the 700 Club earlier this year to discuss the new Poverty and Justice Bible, 
That is a Bible highlighting more than 2,000 verses about poverty and justice. Lamar Vest describes a survey in which people were asked to identify the sources of these Bible, of several Bible verses. Most of the respondents thought the quotes were from Hollywood celebrities. Biblical verses about social justice. Most of the respondents to the CBN survey thought these were Hollywood celebrities. You know the liberals out there on the left coast talking. The highest vote getter was President Barack Obama. Only 13% of those taking the survey could identify those words as words from the Bible. There is a deep suspicion in conservative circles about social justice, the hard implications of which are felt throughout our society. Liberals are labeled as socialist. The poor are castigated as lazy, responsible for their own misery. Immigrants are cast as dishonest, even criminal invaders looking for a free ride. Individual rights trump the common good. Fear breeds disdain for the least of these, and cynicism makes its hard heart felt from the very bottom to the very top of our society. As one Latin American priest said it years ago, when I feed the poor, they call me a saint. When I ask why they are poor, they call me a communist. It has always been the job of the church to ask the hard questions. Why are they poor to begin with? Always been the job of the church to ask the hard questions and to present an alternative, an other perspective, an other perspective. To give moral voice to immoral governments, to change heartless fiscal policies that care only about the bottom line, and to change those with visions of compassion and political courage. Some on the irrational far right disdain social justice because they say it will require government intervention, government action, more government. You know, us taking care of them. And you know what? They're right. If we are going to take care of the last and the least and the lost in this country, the church will not be able to handle the job, except by offering a strong and steady and consistent voice of dissent to the status quo, by presenting a consistent witness to the way of Jesus, by demanding government be of the people, for the people, for all the people. This past week, I read the following from an article posted by Bread for the World, the 45-year-old organization whose mission is to alleviate hunger. The Trump administration's fiscal year uh, 2021 budget proposes to cut funding for domestic and international programs by $1.3 trillion over the next decade. Should the church in the U.S. just pick up the tab Pick up the slack, make up the difference, $1.3 trillion slashed in funding for the poorest. 
Bread for the World's policy experts determined that the country's religious congregations would need to raise an additional $375,000 every year for the next 10 years to make up for the proposed cuts in anti-hunger and anti-poverty programs. $375,000 more for every church and mosque and synagogue in the United States to make up for what has been proposed that we cut from the budget. The church cannot take care of the world's poor unless the influence of our conviction and our compassion and our vision, unless the love of Christ through us is persuasive to those in government. There will be social justice Societal justice, liberty and justice for all of God's children, or there will be no justice at all. Roses are red. Justice isn't a favor. It's what you seek when you love your neighbor. May it be so. Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.